Okay, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. Look at the, the last few verses of Matthew's Gospel, verses 18 through 20. And the text is also printed there in the next page of the bulletin for you. Uh, we're going to get back to Ecclesiastes next week. We've been in that series, I mean, is it just all, all this year we've been in uh, Ecclesiastes? So, uh, But uh, today is Trinity Sunday in the calendar. You know, we've celebrated Easter and then Ascension and then Pentecost, and now Trinity, the fullest revelation of God as triune. So it's uh, uh, Trinity Sunday, so we're going to talk about the Trinity. We're talking about the Great Commission. Uh, it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible when Jesus commissions the church, when Jesus gives the church her mission, uh, as we see here, <clears throat> the way Matthew records it. Uh, if you ask any Christian, really, any Christian in any church, in any place, at any time in history, What's your mission as a Christian? What's your mission as the church? What is the church supposed to be doing in this world? This, what Jesus says right here, it should be the obvious, simple, straightforward answer that anybody could ever give um, what the church's mission is. The king has given us a mission, and uh, as we're going to see, this mission is in perfect alignment with the very nature of God. This mission arises naturally, so to speak, from God's very being. The more you get to know who God is, especially his triune nature, God as uh, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, the more you get to know him, the more it makes good sense that Jesus would give us this mission. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning uh, from Matthew's Gospel. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, you have spoken uh, through the prophets and the apostles, and you've made yourself most fully known in these last days through your Son, who is the living Word, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can read and hear his words. We pray for your Spirit's help this morning that we would have ears to hear the Lord Jesus and that we would not be hearers only, but also doers of your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this is the end of what Matthew records in his gospel, uh, in his particular account of the life and works of Jesus, right? We have the four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is Matthew. They all have slightly different perspectives that uh, they're coming from, um, uh, recording the life and works of Jesus. In the beginning of his gospel, Matthew tells us where Jesus comes from. He gives us, uh, right there in the beginning, actually he has a very human genealogy. So this uh, particularly uh, Abrahamic and Davidic lineage that, uh, point, that Matthew is pointing out. He's a descendant of Abraham and, and David. So in one sense, he's just like us. Right? And God has set him forth as the perfect representative of our humanity. Jesus is a human being. We can trace his lineage. This is where he comes from. And in another sense, there's no one else like Jesus. He is unique in all the world because he's not just a human being. And his miraculous conception uh, testifies to his divine nature. He's more than a human being. He is also God, right? So Matthew, in the first chapter of his gospel, quotes from Isaiah 7, this prophecy uh, where he says that Jesus 
is Emmanuel. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's God with us. Right? So he's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He's God, the Son, truly become a man. So he's fully human, and he's also fully divine. Not part human, part divine. Fully human and fully divine. And we learn from Jesus who's recorded, about, you know, written about in the Gospels, we learn from him the real meaning of both those natures, what it means to be truly human, what it means to be truly divine. The Gospels are accounts of who this astonishing Jesus person is, of the things that he said and he did, of the ways that he fulfilled, in particular, God's plan for our salvation. So one of the important things that Matthew records in his Gospel early on is when Jesus was baptized, uh, in order to fulfill all righteousness, is what Jesus said. To fulfill all righteousness. He was not baptized because he had sins to confess and he needed to be forgiven. He was baptized so that he'd be united to us, so that our sins could be placed on him, so that we would receive forgiveness. <clears throat> so not only is Jesus one of our species, body and soul, fully and truly human, he's one with us spiritually or covenantally, right? He's made this promise. He's made this pledge to us, especially in his baptism, so that he is our representative, our, our vicarious representative, our champion, the one who would bear our sins so that we might bear his righteousness. At his baptism, he pledged himself to us in such a union that our fates became intertwined, so to speak. Uh, so with regard to our relationship with God, as it goes with us, so it goes with Jesus. As we're sinners deserving death, so it went with Jesus at the cross. And with regard to our relationship with God, as it goes with Jesus, so it goes with us. We're in this together. We're in this life with God, together with Jesus, all the way. And at the moment of his baptism, uh, we have this moment of heavenly clarity. It's one of the most beautiful moments the world's ever seen. It's a glimpse of God breaking into this world. So in Matthew chapter 3, he, uh, it's recorded that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, coming to rest on him, and the Father's voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So, uh, here in the Gospel, the good news, Gospel means good news, of Jesus Christ, we see God truly revealed as Trinity. That's the language that we've come to use uh, to talk about this biblical reality. It's hard to describe. It's hard to get our minds around. He's Trinity, right? That means tri-unity, three oneness, right? Three persons, one God, not three gods. That's hard to keep straight. We're not talking about three separate gods, one God, yet three distinct persons, and that the, these are the persons that are seen in Jesus' baptism. So the gospel presents this triune God as our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He, he is our eternal life, this God. And this God is made known to us for a relationship only in Jesus. This God's not made known anywhere else. This God is made known in Jesus. And the gospel shows us what it's like for regular people, for sinners like us, to come to know this God and to be forgiven and reconciled to him by coming into relationship with Jesus. That's how we are in a relationship with this triune God is through our relationship with Jesus. There are several, there are several different words that Jesus uh, uses to describe this relationship. Right? He calls us friends. Uh, we're called brothers. Uh, but here he's using the language of discipleship. We're disciples of Jesus. 
So the Greek word that is translated disciple is mathetes. You can forget that. It's fine. But basically it means apprentice. It means student. I think apprentice might be better. Um, It's not just, you know, learning from Jesus, right? It's learning to follow him. It's learning to, to... to live and uh, work like he lives and works. A disciple is someone who submits to Jesus' teaching, who submits to his authority, who listens to Jesus and learns from Jesus in order to find life with God in his relationship with Jesus. Right? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, does what he says, an apprentice of Jesus, learning his own way of life and work. So disciples are really, we're learning to adopt Jesus' mission as our own. His mission becomes ours. The life and work of disciples is meant to be an extension of Jesus' life and work in this world. We have this pretty simply put for us in John's version of the Great Commission. So we've read Matthew's version. We're going to talk about that. Um, But John has a version too. And it's in John chapter 20, verse 21, uh, where Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection. He says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Right, so the Greek word that's translated sent there, when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, um, is apostello, which you might not forget that word, because uh, this is where we get the word apostle. Apostello is apostle, sent one, which is what the 12 disciples are called after this in the book of Acts, and further on. So, Jesus himself is the sent one. And his disciples, those who are listening to him and learning from him, his apprentices whose lives are being patterned after his, uh, we're also sent ones. Sent ones. So, uh, in Latin, sorry of all the foreign language stuff this morning, um, in Latin the word mission means sending like this, right? That's where we get the word mission. Sending, it's Latin. Uh, Jesus is the great missionary, we could say. He's the great missionary from God who has commissioned his people to become missionaries, sent ones, like he is. He's the unique one. He's the unique only begotten son of the Father sent into the world by God to make God known through his whole life, through everything he ever said or did. And he's fully authorized to declare God's word to the world. So in John 15... He says, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He's the only one who has perfectly transmitted, perfectly testified, perfectly declared everything that he's heard from God. That's what he was sent for. All that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He's the faithful witness. He gives good testimony about God. And he calls us to be his witnesses. That's language we find in uh, Luke's gospel and and the book of Acts. We're called to be his witnesses to testify about him. So he says, basically, now all that you've heard from me, you go make known to others. I've made known God's truth to you. Now you go make God's truth known to others. His mission becomes our mission. His sentness is transferred to us because of our relationship with him. So he commands his disciples to do what he himself does. He's not commanding us to do anything different from what he has done. Make disciples of others. So when a disciple makes another disciple, basically that just means it's, it's sharing the relationship that you have with Jesus with other people. You know what it's like to be a regular sinner person in a relationship with Jesus. You know what that's like. 
You can tell other people about it to make them disciples like you are. It means baptizing them and teaching them here, Jesus says, just as you yourself have been baptized and taught by other disciples. Baptizing and teaching here is, is how the church makes disciples. Go and make disciples. That's the main verb. Baptizing and teaching them. That's sort of how uh, the main, main verb is being done. <clears throat> so let's think about uh, how Jesus talks about baptism here just for a minute. The Trinity and baptism are explicitly connected here. They're connected in Matthew's gospel a couple times. Right? As I mentioned before, at Jesus' baptism, we witness the Trinity, the Father declaring his love for the Son in the gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> God is revealed to be three persons in intimate, delighted communion. God is in himself an eternal family. So there was never a time in God's life when he was not the Father loving the Son. Never a time in eternity when God was not the Son begotten of the Father's love. Never a time when he was not the Holy Spirit of love proceeding from the Father and the Son, uniting the Father and the Son. This is who God is eternally. There's never a time when he hasn't been triune. This is who he is, his being. His being is love. That's how John puts it in 1 John chapter 4. says it a couple times. God is love. It's the most profound statement that you can find in the scriptures. God is love. So, you know, I'll, I'll risk... Uh, what you think of me here by quoting Karl Barth. I'm not supposed to do it, but uh, he's, he's got a few things that are interesting to say. One, I think, is uh, it's not so controversial. But about this, he says the statements, two statements, the statements God is and God loves are synonymous. The statements God is and God loves are synonymous. That's what it means when it says God is love. His being is love. So, so do you see how this is relevant to the discussion of our mission, our being sent out to proclaim the gospel to others. In his very nature, God is about other people. Before he created other people, before creation, before the foundation of the world, there were three people. And God, that's one God. God has always been about other people because, of course, love is about other people. And that's who God is, eternally. In the eternal triune life of God, there is no self-centeredness. The love never stops. The other orientation never stops. It always is. No person of the Trinity is, uh, put it like this, a love terminal. No no person of the Trinity is a love terminal. They're love conduits. If one person of the Trinity were to grow stale and complacent, in his love, to receive love but not to give love in return. If one person of the Trinity were to become fixed on himself, if the persons of the Trinity were to stop looking outward, if the Father were to stop looking to the Son and the Son were to stop looking to the Father, then the triune God would cease to be. The engine of God's own being is the spirit of love. And that's the life we were created to reflect as God made us in his image. And even though in our sin and rebellion against him, we're all self-oriented and we're content to have the love stop here with me. Maybe to be loved, but not to love in response. To be love terminals, but not love conduits. Maybe we're content with that, but God has opened his triune life of love 
to people like us, even to people like us through Jesus. He's, he's invited love terminals like us into his love conduit life. And that's the life that's shared with us in this gracious gift, especially in our baptism. In our baptism, it's made explicit, it's made visible, it's made tangible. We come into this life with God together with Jesus. We come all the way in. So Ed Clowney has a quote. I think I put it here. Uh, Maybe, yes. Uh, This quote that says, Christian baptism is a naming ceremony. The baptism is, the baptized is given a name, the name of the triune God. Baptism gives Christians their family name, the name they bear as those called the children of God. So God doesn't just make his name known to you so that you know what to call him. He doesn't just make his name known to you. He places his name upon you. Literally, he, he brings you into his name. You're baptized into his name. His triune name. When you become a Christian, you are baptized into the one name of Father, Son, and Spirit. In baptism, who the triune God is and how the triune God is. How he has his being. It becomes your new fundamental eternal reality. That's what's happening. The God who is a family brings you all the way into his family. And his family's always been about love. It's always been about the other. So with this God, and with no other God, with this God, being brought all the way in means being sent out. It means being other-oriented. Being brought all the way in means love. It means being sent out. Being included and becoming inviting, they're not two separate things with this God. We can say they're distinct things, but they can't be held apart. That's what we see in Jesus. No one is more all the way in to the life, the family life of the triune God than Jesus is. And he was sent for us. The perfect revelation of God. He was sent for us and for our salvation. He was sent into the world to make disciples, teaching about God and his ways of love, commanding us to follow him and to go out like he has gone out, to love like he loves and to teach others what he has taught us. Right? So if you're truly a disciple of Jesus, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, baptized into the triune name and taught the, the life and ways of Jesus, then how could you be calcified? How could you be hardened against others? How could you grow stale or complacent in your love? How could you refuse the Lord's mission and stop looking outward? If you've been granted the privilege of communion with God, with this God, well, it's the very same privilege as sharing the Son's own mission. It's the same privilege because it's the privilege of a life with the triune God. It's the privilege not just of being loved, but also of loving in God's name and in God's image. And the beautiful thing about being sent by this God, being sent by Jesus, being sent by Emmanuel, is that being sent out doesn't mean you're on your own out there. It doesn't mean you go alone. Just as the Father was always with Jesus and he was always in Jesus, Jesus always talking about it this way while he was on earth, through the Spirit, Jesus is God with us, even though bodily he's not with us in this room. Bodily, he's in heaven, and he's no longer on earth. He is God with us through his spirit. 
Even as he was preparing for his ascension into heaven, he promised this. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Always is uh, literally all the days. So his promise is to be with us the whole of every day forever. The sent one sends us and he accompanies us in our sentness. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't just kick us out of the house and tell us to make our way on our own. So the Christian life of following Jesus in making disciples doesn't mean something like, you know, working up the guts in your morning prayer to try to face the day largely without Jesus, because you're out there in the world without Jesus, largely apart from God's presence or something. The Christian life of following Jesus in making disciples means going and living with Jesus, going and learning from Jesus. Whatever it is you're doing, whether it means you're raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's discipleship, making other disciples, or whether it means helping others in the church to do that, as you've promised when, when the children were baptized, you promised to help raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to, to help their parents make other disciples. Or whether it means building relationships with non-Christians, opening your home to them, inviting them to church, uh, bringing them to gatherings with other believers uh, so they get to know more Christians, or being so bold even as to tell them about Jesus and his salvation. These are things you do with Jesus. Not just booted out the door and, hey, good luck with that. It's, it's something you do with Jesus. And you're not responsible for the miraculous work of spiritual conversion or sanctification in their lives. Only the Holy Spirit can change people from the inside out. You're called, actually you're commanded, to respond faithfully and personally to Jesus. To go forth with Jesus, not apart from him, not on your own. To go with him and to just talk about him. That's basically it, right? Isaiah 12 is uh, blaze red. Uh, To make known his deeds among the peoples. That's what you're being called to do, to make known his deeds among the peoples and proclaim that his name is exalted, to celebrate him, to praise him before other people, to invite them all the way into the triune life of God through faith in Jesus, to join you, to join us, to join the church in the communion, the communion that means mission. So you're called to make others disciples of Jesus. You're called to introduce them to Jesus. Right? They're not your disciples. You might pour a lot of your life into them. You might spend a lot of time with people and help them to understand God better and meet with them a lot. It's great. They're not your disciple. They're Christ's disciple. You're called to make disciples of Jesus. You're called to introduce them to him and share with them what it means to live in a relationship with him. And just so we're clear, yes, in our passage, Jesus says in verse 20, teach them to observe all I have commanded you. All I have commanded you. Uh, so imperatives, right? Uh, so what are, the, what are some of the imperatives that Jesus has commanded us? Some of the things that he's given to us to do. Uh, just in Matthew's gospel, here's a smattering of them. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Rejoice when others persecute you for my sake. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know the rest. 
do not be anxious about your life. That's an imperative. That's a command Jesus gives us. Judge not that you be not judged. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Come to me, I'll give you rest, he says. If anyone would come after me, Jesus commands, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take, eat. This is my body. This is my blood. Drink from it, all of you. So these are wonderful commandments. These are wonderful orders that we've been given. They're otherworldly things uh, for us to do. They're not the, the religious commandments that you might expect But when Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, he isn't just limiting the content of our message to the imperative commands, only laws, only rules, only orders. That's that's not the only thing he's saying. You make sure those other disciples know the things that I've told them to do, the laws and the commandments. If he were, then Matthew's gospel would be very short, maybe like 20 verses. Uh, but I think Matthew's gospel is a good example of a disciple's response to the great commission that Jesus gives here. That's what Matthew's doing as he writes his gospel. He's responding to Jesus when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Matthew's brilliant idea, maybe it didn't come from him, uh, but he was responsive to the great commission by sharing the gospel. The good news about Jesus, everything about Jesus, by giving us an idea of what life with Jesus is like. And that's how we should respond, actually by sharing the scriptures, sharing the gospels, reading the gospels with somebody, telling other people about Jesus so that they can respond with trust in him, so they can marvel at who he is, so they can obey him, so they can submit to the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's because of his universal authority, which he claims here has been given to him by the Father after his death and resurrection, because of that universal authority that you're called to make disciples of all kinds of people, to make disciples from every people group, every nation in the world. Nobody's excluded. There's no first, second-class citizens. Right? Ethnic, cultural, social, or linguistic barriers, which are real barriers that are very difficult for us to overcome when we want to make disciples of all nations, Ethnic barriers, cultural, social, or linguistic, they don't void the calling. They don't void the Great Commission because Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And that also means uh, that we're not allowed to segment our lives or partition our lives, right, into areas uh, where it's okay to proclaim Christ in these settings, not okay in these settings. We're not supposed to do that. Maybe your boss at work doesn't want you talking about Jesus there. Maybe your government, maybe some government in the world that you might live under, uh, doesn't want us talking about Jesus in public. But Jesus is the highest authority, not them. And he's the one who gives us the great commission to make disciples of them. He's called his disciples to make disciples in some pretty uncomfortable situations. It usually feels uncomfortable. When you're making disciples of other people. There's, there's usually discomfort involved. And that's why we need the courage and the confidence that comes from knowing that the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is with us always. 
You can be bold in your relationship with Jesus. You can be bold in sharing the gospel without being aggressive. You don't have to be aggressive. In your relationship with Jesus, you can find courage. You can be, you can be courageous without being antagonistic. You can be thoughtful without being manipulative. You can be honest and transparent and vulnerable rather than being a self-righteous know-it-all who just likes to win apologetics arguments. When what you're doing is sharing what it's like for a disciple to be in a relationship with Jesus. You know what that's like. It's a pretty humble experience for you. You've been authorized to share the gospel with everybody because... The God of love wants you to go tell everybody about his salvation. Now, that could mean, a lot of times when we talk about this mission, Great Commission, missionary stuff, right? It could mean that you become an overseas missionary. That would be fantastic. It would be wonderful if some of you children grew up to be pastors or missionaries, whatever. That's, that would be fantastic. It could mean that Jesus certainly has the right to command such a thing. He has the right to command each and every one of us to do that that you would leave your homeland and you go to some other country far away from your family, far away from this church where the culture is so different from what you're used to and the people may be even hostile to Jesus or to, to his people. But the Great Commission is not a blanket statement like that. It's not a blanket commandment like that. Um, as if every single believer had to become like a nomad on a never-ending missionary journey. That's, I don't think that's the life that we're all called to. You can respond to Jesus' mission Even if you never leave your hometown, even if you grew up here and you stay here and you never move five miles away from here, you could be a missionary. You can respond to Jesus' mission. Even if if you were the greatest missionary who ever lived, uh, you could never reach the whole world by yourself anyway. That's not what we're talking about. That's not your responsibility. That's not your calling to reach the whole world all by yourself. Reaching the whole world is not just up to you. It's a shared mission. It's Jesus' mission first, and it's ours that we share. In the church, we work together in all our ministries. Right? In all, whether it's teaching the kids or uh, becoming missionaries or sending out missionaries or supporting foreign missionaries. That's something that we're in together. Right? There's no one person, there's not even one congregation that can do it all. But we have the privilege of working together with Jesus. So you're called largely, I think, largely to, to pray. To pray for your family and your friends and your neighbors. To pray even for strangers and enemies who don't yet follow Jesus, that they would. That's one of the big aspects of our calling. Pray for them, whoever they are, that they would become disciples who make disciples. Pray for them that they would follow Jesus who makes apprentices, fishers of men. That they would be caught up in the love of this outgoing God. You're a disciple because someone else knew Jesus, because someone else prayed, because someone else taught you about Jesus. That someone else, that that person was a disciple because someone a bit further back knew Jesus and prayed and taught about Jesus. And now, here we are, where you get to participate. You get to be an extension of the life and work of Jesus to help someone else come to know Jesus. And someday, Lord willing, that person will also help others. And so on.
and so forth. Jesus has turned the world upside down. He's disrupted your life to bring you into communion and to share his mission with you. And the more you get to know this triune God in your relationship with Jesus, the more it makes good sense that he would give us this mission. It's a beautiful life to be a part of. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the world to reveal who you are. How could we receive him? How could we receive the sent one and yet refuse his sending? We pray that you would make us uh, disciples of Jesus who make other disciples. You've brought us all the way in. You've included us. You've given us a full share in your eternal life. So we pray that you would help us to share this blessing, this privilege, this gift with others. Jesus said all authority is his and that he is with us always. So we pray that you would give us a loving boldness as we rely on him, on his authority and his presence with us to go out and tell others about him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.